Now, what I'm going to talk about today is dealing with cults. And cults are very strong in our society today. And we're going to look at Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons in detail, but when you start to look at Unification Church, Scientology, uh, Christian uh, Science, all of these different groups that are kind of uh, uh, out there today, there's some interesting teachings going on. Now, most people, when they think of cults, they think of one of two things, uh, uh, really. They think of the extreme, extreme groups like the Branch Davidians, David Koresh and his group down in Waco, Texas. And many of us remember seeing the stories of the Branch Davidians. Interesting who David Koresh was and the mentoring he got. Also, there was a group about 15, uh, 20 years ago maybe, and I'm starting to date myself, but they were called the People's Temple led by Jim Jones. And they left San Francisco and made their way to Guyana where they all drank the Kool-Aid and eventually they, they died, but that was a cult. And there was also a group by the name of Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate is more recent. And again, it was a cultic group where these people followed this twisted leader and all kinds of crazy things happened. Those would be extreme cultish things. We're going to talk about those who have deviated from religious beliefs in Christianity and those who are kind of having a, a mark in our day today. Now, some people would define a cult, generally speaking, which is wrong, but they would define a cult as being that which they do not agree with or that which they do not believe. Now, that is a very slippery slope. That is a very slippery slope. When you think about cults and you think about what people are, are teaching today, just because you don't believe it or agree with it, you've got to have more than that. The church today at large, the Western culture church, listen to me. So many people that show up on a Sunday morning for that 75, 80 minutes, wherever they go, the majority of people, if you really were to crack them open and get to the core of who they are, they can't really tell you what they believe, why they believe it, and how they've struggled to arrive at that belief. Most of us are kind of entry level, which is sad because we can have our lunch handed to us by some of these cults who come with superior arguments that we don't know how to refute. And so there, there, there is an absolute must for the body of Christ and for each and every one of us sitting here to really know what we believe, what God has said, and to be able to rightly and accurately handle the word of truth. This is absolutely crucial in our day. Come on. It's absolutely crucial. And so you're going to meet so many different groups that they're going to use terminology and phraseology that sounds good, but when you start to do an autopsy on it and dissect it, it is absolutely fallacious. So where I'm going today will be for about 40, 45 minutes because this needs some attention. Now, on the website, if you go to the Cross Loganville and go to the messages and go over to our tabs now, what we've got, we've got a... Uh, three options for you to be able to access what we do here on Sunday. There's a little eyeball, and you hit that one, it shows you the video, and so you can get this complete teaching. It's also a little speaker there. You can hit that one. You can download podcasts, whatever. That's available. There's also another one that's got like a little notebook page there. You click that one, it goes to my notes. Now, what I've put together for you on the website is about 14 pages of notes to help you as you start to comb through and think through what are these other teachings and what is uh, center and central to the Christian faith. 
Now, I'm not going to go through 14 pages here today. I'll spare you a little time, but I wanted that available to you. So please access. Every sermon we've done is available for you on our website. All of my notes that I use are available on the website. I want you to access those. Drop them. They're PDFs. I think you can just drop them on your iPad, smartphone. You've got them. Make sense? Come on. This is kind of like an appetizer of where we're about to go. So let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us as we roll into the deeper end of the pool. So, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for allowing us to be here today. And I pray in the name of Jesus that we, uh, we would be attentive. I pray that we would open our hearts to you, our King, our Master and Ruler, and that we would open it to truth. And so I pray now for every guy and gal, man, woman, young person in this room, that they would really be contemplative and considerate uh, of these arguments that we're about to lay out and the truth therein. So, Father, I pray that you would speak in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, the fallacy of reasoning in our day is this. A lot of people have concluded that the only thing that matters is that you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, I've heard people say that. I grew up in the Bible Belt down in Noonan. Which is really, again, this is the bondage belt where there's so much shallowness in a lot of the teachings. All you've got to do is believe in Jesus. There's partial truth there. If I looked at my 15-year-old son, Jesse, and here he is getting his learner's permit, and I gave him the keys, and I said, hey, the only thing you've got to know how to do is to stick the key in the ignition, and you're going to be fine. I guarantee you about 90% of us here today would say, I don't want to be on the road the same time that cat's on the road if that's all the training he's gotten. Being able to stick that key in the ignition is important. But being able to handle that car and knowing where the, uh, hey, I got to put this thing in gear and knowing where the steering wheel is and being able to turn that blinker on and, hey, there's the gas pedal and the brake pedal. And those two are way different on what they're able to do. And when you start to hear this little rattling noise, uh, it, it doesn't mean it's enjoying the sound of music coming out of your system. You might want to check the engine and this thing requires gas. Does that make sense? There's more to driving a car than sticking the key in the ignition. So as we start to walk with Jesus in this postmodern, pluralistic, relativistic style world that we live in, it's more than just saying, I'm saved and that's good enough. Because when these cults come around and these people start to form their arguments with you, if you're not careful what they believe and why they believe their whites and how they've arrived at their whites and whites will absolutely annihilate you. They will blow a lot of evangelicals out of the water because so many evangelicals have no clue of what they really believe, why they believe it, and how they've struggled to get there. Come on. Now, this is important for each and every one of us. I will say this to you out of the gate as we talk about these different cults. It is by God's grace that I was not ambushed as a young dude and, 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 and taken away into one of these cultic groups myself. I didn't grow up in the church, had no biblical understanding, so by God's grace, I've been protected. By God's grace, I didn't grow up in the lineage of a Joseph Smith or the lineage of a Brigham Young or the lineage of a whoever, David Koresh. I didn't grow up in that. And so a lot of people, when you see the Mormons and the JWs come, it's not, here come those stinking JWs of Mormons, it's here comes people created in the image of God that have been misled and deceived. They're people 
with souls. And so I don't speak to you today degrading those people. God loves those people. Now, there's some bad doctrine and bad theology and bad arguments that they're building their system of belief on. Now, now that's bad, but we're not here to, to beat those people up. By God's grace, I could be right in the middle of it today. Make sense? So this is going to be important. Romans chapter 16, verse 7. Paul closes out what I believe one of the most powerful books in the Bible. I mean, Romans is one of the strongest doctrinal theses that Paul writes. He starts in Romans 1 by talking about being justified by faith. He talks about this concept of, of really now the grace of God takes us to a place we can never be. He talks about there's no condemnation in Christ. There's no separation for Christ. He talks about throughout Romans the importance of not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Great, great work from the Apostle Paul. So much great theology is in the book of Romans. But Paul closes this writing to the church in Rome by saying this. Now, I urge you, spiritually shaken. Now, now, now y'all listen to me. Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances. Keep your eye, be, be, be alert, watch out, to those who are causing dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you've learned. Contrary, the contrast there. Now, now, now listen, there's some people out there that are creating hindrances and, and, and dissensions and divisions amongst the body. And watch them. Pay, pay attention to what you're listening to. Don't fall into an easy believism trap. Just because some dude in a church makes a statement, don't, don't, don't just believe it. Calm through the scripture, Acts 17, 11, says those in Berea were much more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. They examined the scripture carefully daily to see if what was being taught was truth or not. So what he's saying is, hey, hey be careful, pay attention to what you're listening to. For such men, he goes on to say, for such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We've established that. He prowls around like a lion, roaring, seeking someone to devour. Pay attention to what you're listening to. Know what you believe. Know why you believe it. Know how you've struggled to arrive at that belief so that you're able to share now the hope that you have within you. Now, how can we identify certain cults in a general vague sense? I want you to hear this. This is important, guys. It's going to help you as you do life. How, how, how can you identify them? Many cults believe that their way is the only way to heaven. And you'll hear this kind of teaching. No, we're, we're, we're the true way. We're the true church. Really. Many cults don't even believe in heaven. Some don't believe in sin. Some don't believe in hell, Satan, or the Bible. Some believe in reincarnation, and even others teach that you earn your way, that when you die, God's going to look at the scales and see if you had more good than bad, and that's how it's going to be measured. Pay attention to core teachings that come from anybody, from anybody, including me. Now, a biblical definition of a cult is this, and this is good to know. It's defined as those who have added, changed, or eliminated certain essential biblical doctrines that are core to the Christian faith. As soon as a person eliminates, change, or adds to 
Even that last chapter in Revelation, he said, if anyone adds or takes away any of these, so his name will be taken away from the book of life. Very interesting as you start to get into it. Walter Martin is an expert, in a sense, when it comes to studying cults. Some of you have heard of Walter Martin. Now, that being said, before I quote Martin, let me say this to you. What I'm talking about today is not going to be a complete exhaustive study on this topic. If I was going to do a complete, detailed, exhaustive study, it would probably take me six weeks, five days a week, about four hours a day, and I still wouldn't even touch uh, the surface of it. So, so understand, we're talking about some general but yet very important, applicable things that I think we can take away today. But Walter Martin said this. He said, a cult is a religious group or a group religious in nature that surrounds its leader that either denies or misinterprets key doctrines of the Bible. Watch what they're teaching. Watch what they're presenting. Watch how they're articulating their statements. So a cult is a group bound together with intense devotion to a person, ideal, or a belief that practice a false system of spirituality while claiming to be authentic and legit. That's what a cult is. So when you hear the word cult, what is a cult? It's not just something you disagree with. It's not just something you don't believe. Watch who they're following. Watch what their manuscripts or their teachings are all about. Watch who their leader is. Very, very interesting. Cults are known when you start to uh, break them down. They're known for three big things. They're known, they're known for being exclusive. Their way is the only way. If you don't believe their way, you're wrong. Another thing is, if you were to break away and not stay with us anymore, your salvation is in danger. They're very exclusive. Cults are also very secretive. They only allow their information to be known to a few chosen. And the only way you get to know certain key pieces of their information is that many times you have to take this oath of confidentiality and this vow to hear certain secretive teachings. They're also very authoritative. Their leader has all this great status now before God and others, and what he says is the truth. Now, this is interesting as you get into other religions that I'll touch on in the next few weeks. Because some of the religions we find today in our culture have also emphasized this mindset, and it's very interesting. Are y'all with it? Very interesting as we deal with this. Now, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, listen to what the Lord says. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God or not. Every spirit, every teaching, every church, every so-called preacher, prophet, whatever, don't just believe everything you hear, but test to see whether they're of God or not. I cannot test to see if they're of God or not if I don't know what God has to say about something. So again, the, the Western evangelical church has become five miles wide, but about a quarter of an inch deep. And so many people have no root system. When you have no root system, you're not going to have any fruit developing off your life. You've got to have a strong foundation. I've made the observation that healthy doctrine leads to healthy direction. Bad doctrine leads to bad direction. So you've got to know what you believe. This is important in this series. Now, many cults will use the Bible and Bible terminology 
to express who they are. Watch out. On the surface, they may sound legit. But because of a lack of understanding ourselves and not knowing the corruption inside certain teachings, you've got to be careful. They will come to you and say, yes, we believe, we believe the Bible. Well, as I get into this in a bit, it's very interesting what Mormons and JWs take even on the Bible is. They will say, I had a JW, Jehovah Witness guy in my yard one day, started dialoguing with him, and I said, let me ask you a question. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? And he says, we don't believe that you can receive the Holy Spirit. Well, what is the Holy Spirit? And then he likened the Holy Spirit to like a radar. I'm like, what does that mean? It's like a radar. I said, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that only 144,000 based on your teaching will go to heaven? He said, yes. I said, based on Jehovah Witnesses' teaching already, you've already reached that number. How do you get in? And all of this fallacy of teaching, Charles Taze Russell, who was the founder of this movement, supposedly got this revelation around 1920-ish or whatever. And all of a sudden, he now has got this new revelation of God. Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon church, got supposedly this great revelation while he was in upstate New York. And the angel Moroni visited him. Root word of Moroni, Moron. But Joseph Smith says, Moroni visited me and gave me these other teachings. And so this entire movement has started. If you read and study even the work, the God Makers, that was written about the Mormon church and people that had come out of the Mormon church to really place their faith in Jesus, many believe that Joseph Smith was murdered by his own bodyguard. So when you listen to people and they start to use the Bible, words are absolutely crucial as tools in evangelism for these other cults. What kind of words, what kind of phraseology, what do you mean by what you just said? And if you don't get proper definition to the terms, you'll start spinning in circles. And that's, that's happened with so many of my friends. Well, they say they're Christian. Really? Well, I was talking to this guy, and they came up, and these two elders. I was dialoguing with a couple of these guys, these, these Mormon guys, and my heart broke for them. And I said, what does Elder Joe mean? He said, well, our church calls us elders. And I said, so when y'all are sent out for this two-year mission, y'all are given the title elder. He said, yes. I said, how old are you, Joe? I'm 22. How old is your buddy here? He's 23. I said, do you realize based on 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 that for a person to be an elder, there's four criteria? Thus, even the name elder is in violation of the scripture. I said, can I read that to you? And I said, your name. And they, they left. But I'm like, you've got to be careful because their phraseology and terminology and the way they word things can mislead you. And if you don't have the substance and depth, you can really get twisted up in a heartbeat. Now, Ron Rhodes, in his book, The Challenge of the Cults and New Religion, said this. Cults often grow out of and deviate from a previously established religion. David Koresh was mentored by a guy that had broken away from the Seventh-day Adventist. So when people saw what David Koresh did, go back and read this whole biographical sketch of where David Koresh came from. 
David Koresh, the founder of that movement that he got to be a part of, had actually broken away from Seventh-day Adventist teaching. But when you go back and study a lot of these movements, it was people that grew up in some type of Christian, even conservative for some of them, but they started getting these new divine revelations. Trevor grew up in Warsaw, Indiana. I lived there for a while. There was a professor at Grace College and Seminary, which is a very conservative teaching school. This professor ends up going hyper with his faith movement stuff. And so there was this church and this movement started north called the Glory Barn. And I was telling Trevor the other day that a lot of kids were dying and a lot of adults were dying. A little dude had an appendix problem. And all of a sudden he goes, you just got to have faith. It's a faith issue. And all of a sudden the little dude died. Because they didn't get it corrected. And where he landed was, if there's sickness in your life, basically, it's either one, you don't have enough faith, or number two, you've got sin in your life. And so all of a sudden, you take certain arguments in the scripture, and you go hyper with them, and you take them out of context, and a lot of people have crashed. I told you the story of my buddy Milt years ago, and when he and his wife had their first little girl, she had gotten some teaching from her dad who was listening to Kenneth Hagin. I'm not here throwing the dude under the bus. The teaching was bad. But this girl has got this little baby she's about to give birth to, and they uh, determined that she had a hole in her heart. And so they looked and they said, hey, unless there's a miracle, we don't know if she's going to make it. So she listened to all this name it and claim it, blab it and grab it kind of teaching. All of a sudden, the baby was born, lived only 24 hours, and died. And this girl ends up spiraling because she concluded, based on what she was listening to, that the reason her baby died was that, one, she didn't have enough faith, or two, she had sin in her life. And that girl started living with habitual guilt and shame. And so you've got to be careful when people start to twist truth. When they take a truth and start to add to it or reduce it down, you've got to be careful. Very careful. So some of the groups, again, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, Christian Science Unification, tons of them we could look at, but here's where I want to land. What are the key doctrines of the Christian faith? What do y'all believe? Again, go to our website, go to About Us, go to our, our doctrinal statement. But when we talk about that we believe that there is one God, God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, key doctrine. When we say that we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and his uh, accomplishing work on the cross, that once and for all he died for sin, key doctrine. When we say that we believe in the sinfulness of humanity, we believe that through one man, Adam, and his wife Eve, that sin entered into the world, sin spread to all, all of us have sinned, we believe that is absolutely crucial in our doctrine. When we say we believe that a person comes back to God by the grace of God through faith in Jesus and him alone, which means Jesus plus absolutely nothing brings us back, that is key doctrine. When we say that we believe in the authority and the inerrancy and the inspiration of the word of God, and you can look at our website, like I said, please pull up. What do they believe? Is it biblical and accurate? And then we've got about a seven-page leadership uh, doctrinal statement that I would love for you to have. Just contact our office. Now, let me share with you some characteristics with cults. This is a teaching today. A lot of cults concentrate their efforts and influence to control others at the core. It's all about 
control. It's all about domination. It's all about manipulation. When you start to deal with certain cults, that's where it ends up going. And, and, and a lot of the people that have gotten involved in these cults didn't really pay attention to what was being taught, didn't really know what to look for. But, but because they were starving for community, they've kind of caved in and they've kind of yielded to that. And they find themselves all of a sudden, man, sabotaged and ambushed with it. Loneliness has driven a lot of people to a lot of different places. One place has been cults. Now, here's some of the patterns. The group displays a zealous and an unquestioning commitment to its leader, and they regard his beliefs and teachings as being the truth and truth alone. I had a guy come up after the first service and say, well, don't we believe, like even from a Christian standpoint, that the truth is exclusive? Absolutely. Truth in its purest definition excludes. Truth is narrow. And, 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 and when God has spoken and said, we use the argument where two plus two equals four, that is a very narrow statement, and it excludes other possibilities as being an answer. So truth in its purest definition is narrow. Questioning and doubts are considered to be rebellious, and, and, and they're not permitted whatsoever in a cultish group. Now, when Martin Luther nails his 95 Thesis to the Catholic Church door on Hallow's Eve 1517, he's wanting to get some dialogue going on. Jesus repeatedly asked questions. Jesus invited people to dialogue. Jesus can handle my questions and dialogue. But a lot of these cults will shame you and guilt you as soon as you start to pose a question because they have their set belief and you can't rock their world. Third thing, the leadership dictates how members should think how they should act, how they should feel. For example, you, you must get permission to date. You've got to get permission to marry. You, you've got to get permission on who you can hang out with, whether you can have kids, what geographical location you can live out. Very, very interesting when you start to look at this. Mike, you and I were talking, and you come out of a medical sales kind of a background, if you will. Share an interesting take that you found years ago, my brother. Well, just like Pastor Tim said, before I came uh, to came into ministry here at this church. I was in medical sales, and what I sold was a service to operating rooms where I would go in and I would collect blood loss off the surgical field, run it through a centrifuge, give the red blood cells back to anesthesia, trying to keep people from having a blood transfusion, right? Trying to keep it all in the family, right? That's what we were doing. And so uh, um, oftentimes doctors, doctors would come and they'd go, Mike, I need, you, I need you to come in pre-op. Well, I never went into pre-op, but I need you to talk to this patient. And, and, and all the time, I would have to go and talk to a Jehovah's Witness because Jehovah's Witness believe very wholeheartedly that they cannot receive somebody else's blood. So even in my case where the blood left the body and come in, they would, they would come and I would explain to the patient and every single time, never once did they make the decision for themselves. They then called their Pastor, father, they priest, calling? pontiff, his magistrate. I don't know what they called. Uh, but they would, call, they would call him, and I would have to go through the spiel with him, then put them back on the phone, and he would tell them whether or not they were allowed to do that. This is, this is a medical procedure that, I mean, this was, in many cases, they were very, very serious. Where I mean, if you go have a total hip, there's a significant chance for extreme blood loss in that in that situation. So doctors are dependent on the ability to give blood back. And this person let this, I mean, the guy didn't even talk to the doctor. He talked to me and I told him what I did. And he went, oh, no, he can't, can't do that. 
We'll talk to you if you make it. And anyway, it was, it was, it was staggering to me. Now, now listen, listen to this. My prof in college made the observation that Christians and evangelical followers of Jesus, for the most part, are very, very lazy thinkers. We cannot have the mindset of saying, hey, feed me. Tell me what you think. If you come to me with a question, you'll probably leave with a question. (laughs) What have you read? What have you studied? What has been your struggle of pursuit? Because if I give you one of my whites without you embracing the why, you don't have anything. And so the question has to be posed when I say this is what I believe, but I don't even know why I really believe it. My question is, do you really believe it? Because as we deal with these different groups, what's going to end up happening is you will get your lunch handed to you. And so when we, we've kind of centered up on this 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify Christ as Lord in your life. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Always, always, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Now, you've got to know what you truly believe based on what God has truly said. And this is crucial as we move forward. Check it, check it out. Another characteristic of a cult is they have an elitist mindset. God's spoken to us and nobody else. You've got these polarized kind of us versus them kind of thinking going on. They're right and and they're fighting against everybody else. There's a lot of different things. One of the major things I've looked at with cults is this. The leader usually has zero authority above him. He is the authority and he has no accountability. And once you put yourself on an island where you have no accountability... You are on a slippery slope. I've got Mike, I've got Nick, I've got Steve, I've got Trevor, I've got our staff, I've got our elders. I'm accountable. And so when we laid this thing out, it's like, I'm accountable. And so if I I mess it up, I'm accountable. I'm one brother in this body with the rest of y'all. But I do realize that as I stand here and stand here and stand here week after week or sit here as I'm doing now, Those who teach will incur a much stricter judgment. Even as he says in James, when you teach, you're going to incur a stricter judgment. I'm going to be held accountable for what I teach people. So I've got to know if if I'm really sharing truth or whether I'm sharing out of the book of hesitations or opinions, which doesn't exist in the book. And there's a lot of people that are strong in quoting out of the book of opinions. And it's not changing anybody. And it doesn't have God's authority on it. First John chapter 2, he writes this. It is the last hour. And just as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. If they had, had really been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they were not really of us. And he's saying there are some people that claim that they belong, but they don't really belong. And, and because of their teaching and because of their conduct and because of what they've done, they don't belong. I had a buddy come over the other day. He's at a, a, a pretty large church in North Atlanta. And he made this observation that he was sitting down with the headmaster of a school they had. 
The headmaster looked at my buddy Tommy and said, do you realize, based on George Barnett's stats here recently, that 85% of those that call themselves Protestant evangelicals do not believe that the Bible is ultimately the authority that they're to reason from? Churches! And my buddy Tommy looked at the guy and said, well, praise God, let's stay in the 15%. When you start to treat this like it's just another book, you are in big trouble. And people get there. They start to negotiate the truth claims in the scripture. Here's some of the things with cults that we've noticed. They deify man. What do you mean by that? They elevate man to a position where he doesn't belong. Man is corrupt and sinful at the core. That would be you and I. Bad news. You were born into the world infected and diseased with sin. But a lot of these cults start to elevate and deify man. Here's another thing they'll do. They start to humanize God. They will shrink God down and make God just like one of them. Now, that, that's, an, that's an interesting place to get. They minimize uh, or, or trivialize or totally eliminate that you're a sinner. That's interesting. Their views on Jesus are very interesting. The views on the Holy Spirit, the views on what the church really is, their, their views on uh, the accuracy and the authenticity of Scripture. I want to get there for you. It's crazy. So back to what Paul said in Romans 16. Hey, be on guard. Pay attention to what's going on. And anybody that's coming in with their smooth, articulate thoughts that are causing hindrances and dissensions to thus say at the Lord, man, you've got to take note of what's happening. I don't care how great an orator the guy is. I don't care if he's got 20,000 people showing up on Sunday and all he teaches is a feel-good message. It doesn't mean God's hands on that ministry. And that's the culture where we kind of live now. We've kind of reclined ourselves to say, just appease me and entertain me. You've got to be careful. So words definitions, terminology, pay attention. So you've got three that I'm going to look at today. You've got the LDS, which are Latter-day Saints or Mormons. You've got JWs, Jehovah Witnesses, and then I'm going to say the Bible, what it teaches, or that which we as evangelical followers of Jesus Christ, repentant and committed to Christ, really believe. Now, what do the Mormons believe about the Bible? Listen to this. The Mormons say the Bible is correct only as far as it has been translated correctly. That's, that, 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 that's a crazy statement right out of the gate. The Bible's correct if only it's translated correctly, which is to say it's basically trustworthy. The Bible is the only one of the four standards that they use. They use the Bible, the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. Now, here, here, here are the resources the Mormons will use. They say that out of the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, that the Bible is the only one that is not infallible. The rest of the works that Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, and all their scholars came up with, those are infallible, meaning those will not fall. Those are of God. But the Bible, score now you translate it. So when that dude comes to the door and wants to use the Bible, he's already established, based on his core operational belief system, that this book right here can't totally be trusted. The JWs are an interesting group. They say, we believe in the inerrant word of God. But what they mean is, they believe in the inerrant word of God that the Jehovah Witnesses has translated to be the word of God. So when they bring their Bible and say, well, let me read a passage to you. 
to go, what translation are you reading out of? Because if you're reading out of a translation that you've changed to, to support your bias, your Bible won't carry any weight from me. What do you use, Tim? I prefer the, e, uh, the ESV, the English Standard Version, the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. Why? Because based on critical study and critique, I believe those are two of the stronger works that line up to the original manuscripts. What about the King James? What about the NIV? NIV, I call it the nearly inspired version. It misses too many words and weightiness in there. Why? Look at the Alexandrian period. Look at the Byzantine period. Look at where these manuscripts were taken from. What is strong to the text? Come on. I will incur a much stricter judgment. I use what I think to be the strongest back to the original text that, do not violate, that will not violate the Word of God. Now, that's important to know. Do you read out of the New Living? Yes. Do you read out of the Message? Some? Yes. Do you read out of the King James Son? Yes. Those are all pretty healthy translations, but the two stronger ones, that's where I go. So we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God based on 2 Timothy 3.16, and we believe it's, it, it's profitable for teaching, correction, training in righteousness, reproof, all this. We believe it's inspired. Here's another one. What do these other groups believe about salvation? How do you become saved or born again? The Mormons say that we are resurrected by grace, meaning when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he provided resurrection for everybody, so everybody's going to be resurrected. That's what they teach. And they believe that only certain people can be exalted to a place of Godhead. They ultimately teach that it's by works. Now, Jesus provided resurrection, so cool. But it's by works that you're going to get there, includes Faithfulness to church leaders, Mormon baptism, tithing, ordination, marriage, secret temple rituals. When you get higher up in the Mormon church, they get married in these special garments. Go back and study it. They teach that there is no eternal life for anyone if you do not have Mormon membership. Really? That, that's what they teach. They believe that Jesus is a God and uh, the Father is a God and the Holy Spirit is whatever with them, but, but they, they believe that you will become a God one day. And when you die, there's these three levels in heaven. And when you die, you're either going to go to the celestial kingdom, the terrestrial kingdom, or the telestial kingdom. And, and according to how good you were here is going to determine where you go there. But when you get there, you get to have your own wife and you get to populize your own little planet. But I'm telling you, my heart breaks because these people are created in the image of God just like I am, and they're being deceived. What do JWs believe? They believe that salvation is earned by good works in cooperation with what Jesus did, but you must be baptized as a JW. Most followers earn everlasting life on earth by going door to door, and you've got to get so many hours in there. Salvation in heaven is limited to 144,000, which has been established. They've already hit that number. And my heart breaks because these people are coming sincere, but they've been brainwashed and violated. And it's like, really, what do you believe? We believe salvation is a, a free gift from God. We believe that it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. You can't work for it. So as we get into this, we believe that we receive it by faith through repenting of our sin and saying, become the Lord of my life. Jesus doesn't come to take part. He comes to take over. He don't want to just be a resident. He comes to be president, ruler, authority of everything. 
You believe that? Yes. What do the Mormons teach about Jesus? Listen to this. Jesus is a separate God from the Father. The Father is Elohim. He was created as a spirit child by the Father and Mother in heaven. He is the elder brother of all men and spirit beings. His body was created through the sexual union of Elohim and Mary. Jesus was married. His death on the cross does not provide full atonement for sin, but it does provide resurrection. So the Mormons teach that Jesus was married. The Mormons teach that how Jesus got here was Elohim, the father, had sex with some mother in heaven, and Jesus was the result of it. That's the teaching. And so when you start to comb through it, it's like, man, but, but, but when they look and say, and you ask the question, well, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Yes, we believe Jesus is the son of God. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Yes, we believe Jesus died on the cross. Define what you really believe about Jesus. How was Jesus conceived? What did his sacrifice on the cross really accomplish? Articulate and define for me your terminology. Because if not, I'm spinning in circles and I think I'm speaking the same language and we're miles apart. Come on. Is this making sense to my my people now? I I told you it's going to be teaching today. What about the JWs? They say that Jesus is not God. Before he lived on the earth, he was Michael, the archangel. archangel. Jehovah made the universe through him. On earth, he lived a perfect life. After dying on a stake, not a cross, he was resurrected, but his body was destroyed. Jesus is not coming again. He returned invisibly in 1914. Charles Taze Russell and these guys got this insight, but very soon... He and the angels will destroy all men that are not JWs. That's the teaching. So when they knock on the door and say, hey, man, would you like a copy of uh, some some Christian publication? It's not Christian. Would you like a watchtower? No. If I'm going to watchtower, I'm listening to Jimi Hendrix. I'm not into that. (laughs) I'm like, no, because it's deceitful, corrupt teaching. The Bible, Jesus is the second person of the Godhead. He is God in flesh. He is deity. And so we could break this down, but I mean, for the sake of time, go back and study the Godhead. The Mormons say it's an office held by three separate gods. God the Father was once a man, but he progressed to Godhead. This is the Mormon teaching. God the Father was once a man, but he had this incredible progression. All of a sudden now, He's reached Godhead. He has a physical body, and so does his wife, Heavenly Mother. There is no Trinity. Worthy men one day may become gods themselves. I'm just telling you, man, please pay attention to what's being taught in our culture. J.W. say there's one person. He's God. There's no Trinity. Jesus might have been the first thing that was kind of created by this God, but they're way different. Way different. Christianity, cults, religions. We're living in this postmodern world. We're living in a postmodern world where there's a lot of people that are starting to buy in to these faulty belief systems. Now listen to me, church. I want every one of you to know what you truly believe. I want you to be ready to share the hope that you have within you that's founded on Jesus Christ. I could get into the Holy Spirit. Mike... 
Those pages of notes we're giving them, there's tons. There's about six more pages of stuff for you to comb through. But if you don't know what you believe, how can you share your faith with other people? I mean, what are you sharing? And if I don't really know what I believe, how can I rightly and accurately handle the word of truth when I'm bombarded and ambushed by one who's coming with an extreme denominational flavor or a cultic flavor or a different religion? How can I handle that? And so my prayer is that all of us would understand the importance that Jesus has been revealed. But just putting the key in the car ignition is not enough. We want to know where the gas goes. We want to know how this car operates. We want to make sure that we pick up the manual that God's given us so that we can walk with our Savior. Come on. 